So the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. This is the first Passover when God delivered His people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And He came to Egypt and He judged Egypt. He brought His people of Israel out and He delivered them from slavery. And Exodus 19 that we heard this morning tells us that He brought them to Mount Sinai in order to make a covenant with them, in order to give promises to them, and in order to show them how to be His people and how to worship Him. So that they could be in relationship, they could have fellowship. A nation, a people, having fellowship, not just with a God, but with the God who made all things. The one true God. And the Feast of Pentecost that He established that day Pentecost means the 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover. It's also called the Feast of Weeks because they were to count seven weeks. 50 days. It was the commemoration, the remembrance of what happened there at Mount Sinai. And God had shown Himself glorious. He'd shown Himself all-powerful. When He delivered them, He freed them from the clutches of the mightiest nation on the earth at that time. He had mocked the, their pretenses of power. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's claims to absolute authority. And he had mocked their gods. Each of the plagues demonstrated his superiority, his mastery over one of their gods. And then when he himself came and he led them out, his holy presence, just his presence there brought judgment. But he had provided a way. The blood of a lamb. You remember the story, right? His holiness came. And holiness judges what is unholy. And so he had provided a way for anyone who was willing to receive it. Anyone. His people or anyone who would listen. Who would trust his instructions. They could be saved from death. And that's the Passover. Through that Passover then, he led his people in triumph. And he caused them to pass through the depths of the Red Sea. He parted the seas. Then he destroyed the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. Still unwilling to let them go. And in that he showed there will always be destruction for those who oppose him. And then having saved Israel as a people, he brought them to Mount Sinai. And he renewed his promise to Abraham. He renewed his promise that he would provide a covenant relationship, that he would be their protector, he would be their father, they would be his own family. And he tells them this. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to the world. The appointed day when, when this happened, the appointed day for this covenant to be delivered, it's one of the most awesome moments recorded in the whole Bible. It, it, it causes me sometimes to shake. Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, this was the day appointed, 
there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. This trumpet blast came from heaven. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And this is crazy. And as the sound of the trumpet from heaven grew louder and louder, there's no failing breath here, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Then Moses goes up. And as the Lord speaks the Ten Commandments from the top of the mountain, speaking them to Moses, the people gathered at the bottom can hear. They can see this and they are overwhelmed. Exodus 20, 18 and following says, Now when all the people, this is after the commandments are spoken, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak for us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. In the Jewish Midrasha, that's the commentaries on the Scriptures uh, from oral traditions, the ancient oral traditions of the Jewish people, Rabbis commented on these, and they point out that the Hebrew record, this scripture we've just read, in Hebrew, when God spoke the commandments, it says, all the people saw the voices. So it literally says, they saw the voices. It goes on, as God spoke, His voice appeared as tongues and flames of fire. And they felt his voice all around them. One Midrash reads, emanating from the mouth of the Almighty. Many voices. Voices coming from every direction. And from the heavens. And from the earth. They saw the voice of God. So not only did he give his covenant, not only did he establish the relationship, not only did he set boundaries for how to know him, he was also communicating about his nature. He was communicating what it means for the Almighty God to speak. It's not like any other voice. The voice of truth is unlike any other voice. When he speaks his eternal will, so it's, that, that's a pretty phenomenal passage, yes? And it's with that picture, and it's with that remembrance, they, they were reflecting on that occasion that the 120 disciples of Jesus gathered together in Jerusalem. The whole nation of Israel, from the diaspora, they gathered back for this Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. And somewhere within the temple or nearby, that 120 disciples of Jesus 
50 days after his resurrection, gathered together. Scripture tells us, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all with one mind in the same place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire. It doesn't say tongues of fire. It says tongues as of fire. The nearest thing that they could, they could point to that this is like, was like fire, appeared and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is happening? The covenant. The Lord is establishing His new covenant. So from among the descendants of Abraham, from among that people, He carves out a people who are like Abraham. People of faith. These are people of faith. And he gives to them the task to fulfill the original task as a kingdom of priests. That's what Israel was always supposed to be. And now he brings together a people of faith who will fulfill that task. And he connects this new covenant to that earlier movement by doing it on the same day using the same sign. Lest anybody miss out what he's doing. He's like, let me just give you some signposts. You're meeting together on the same day that we're remembering this and I'm doing that now again with people who have put their faith in the king. The promised one. Same day, same sign, sound, flame, Many voices speaking the truth. This moment, it fulfills Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant. Jeremiah said, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their heart. God's law, that, that first law, it came from truth. It came from who God is. The essence of the truth. The same essence of truth that God wrote in a law code and he wrote in terms of boundaries and principles. God's spirit then brought into the disciples' hearts as Love for truth. Same essence that's behind the written code gives love for that essence. Love for truth. So the same truth that was once produced as a law code, he then composes as a love song. That's the nearest I think we can get to. It's a love song that he writes in their hearts. God didn't write his rules in their hearts, he wrote love for the God who set down that law code for his people. So now, we know the outpouring, we know what this did, this outpouring, of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it created a new covenant people. 
People that stand in the grace of God by the blood of Jesus. That spirit pouring in and filling people, united those people with the Almighty God. Brought them into oneness. What does it mean that they're filled with the Spirit? We share in that oneness. Do we share in that filling? Jesus had said, you will receive power. Describing this event that was to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You'll receive power for what? To do what? It seems plain from the Scripture from what they were doing on that day of Pentecost. What was happening on that day? From Peter's quotation of Joel, and then from his own preaching. What's happening there is that the Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses. To be filled with the Holy Spirit enabled prophetic speech. To be filled with the Holy Spirit enabled prophetic speech. The people there were asking, there's 3,000 people there at least gathered there, and they're asking, what does all this mean? What, what is this that's going on here? And Peter replies with Joel. He says, as the prophet Joel said, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy I will pour out my spirit and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Modern people freak out at that word. You might be uncomfortable right now. Prophesy. To prophesy means to speak the truth of God. To speak the truth of God. To speak truth from God. Sometimes it's before an event happens. But that's rare. More commonly, in fact, the normal usage of this in the New Testament is that speaking truth, prophecy is speaking truth that is eternal. It's just speaking the truth. It's to say the truth as God has made it known. And to speak it with authority. And that's what's happening on Pentecost here. The people that are gathered there, they're not predicting the future. They are saying what God has done in Jesus Christ. New Testament people of God, and that's us, we're New Testament, New Covenant people of God, are those who have been given sight and given understanding of what is and have been changed by this word. Of what is. What we talked about last week with the ascension. People of God are those who recognize, it has been revealed to them that Jesus Christ 
rose, but that wasn't just 2,000 years ago. His resurrection meant he was now seated on the throne. This is a living reality. People of God are those who recognize and live according to this reality. We are, we are off balance from the rest of the world. We recognize this thing that's not seen, but nevertheless is the most fundamental fact in the world. Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of the cosmos. That what will be, that what has happened, what is happening, and what will be is determined by his rule. That is so off kilter from the rest of the functioning of the world. We don't just discover that by ourselves. There's not a one of us that just kind of figured that out. It was revealed to us. To speak according to that truth is prophecy. So to be filled with the Spirit means God comes very personally, very personally, very intimately, and fills a person with what is in God's heart and in his mouth. So that not only do we see it, but we're emboldened to speak it. And as we see in the text, seeing truth clearly means they speak of Jesus as Lord and Savior. To see truth clearly is to acknowledge and delight in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus and glorifies Him alone. It is a false spirit that glorifies anyone else, including maybe especially the speaker of that word. The Spirit cannot lie, and the Spirit can't give glory where it's not due. When somebody is encountering God, legitimately encountering God, we know it by one very clear test. We can all know this. This isn't just like specialized knowledge. We can know this by a clear test. The Spirit always takes someone to God's Word written, the Bible. He's the Spirit of truth. So the Spirit loves truth and grows in the person love for the truth. If it is the Spirit moving a person, changing a person, the Spirit takes them to the Bible. Because they want above all to be aligned with truth. And there's a willingness even to, to let go of things they've held onto and clutched onto. Because the love and the delight in truth is, is so consuming. I vividly recall one student who had grown up in the church but had come to distaste for churchly things, for the Bible. And this young person said, I used to think the Bible was boring. Anytime I opened I was immediately bored. But the more I read now, the more I want to read. The more I read, the more I want to read. And now I can't get enough of it. It's the only thing I want to read. And some weeks later, there followed this. I find that I see everything more clearly. I'm more aware of what's good 
and what's not. Just more aware. I'm more aware of what's harmful. And I find that I, wa- I want the thing that I didn't want before. That's affection for truth. Affection for truth. This, this filling that we're talking about is happening all over the world all the time. Christians who have received God's Spirit. Notice the order. The gospel passage we read. Jesus breathed His Spirit on His disciples. He said, receive the Spirit. And then the day of Pentecost came, and they were filled with this consuming desire to speak the truth. They were filled with it. This awakening, it's happening all the time. Christians, we we go to sleep a little bit. We take for granted the things of God. We take for granted our very salvation. We become presumptuous about what God ought to do for us. Our, Our own vision of a perfect life, a good life, starts to consume. It starts to push out other things. And that's the thing we begin to want. We begin to to want our comforts more than the honor of God. This is not surprising. We, you know, dictators, dictators don't give up power voluntarily. And we're all, we're all kind of grown up as little dictators. Dictators of our life. We don't easily voluntarily give up power. But this, we need the Spirit to help. And the Spirit is right now, today, today across the world. The Holy Spirit came. We're we're kind of at the back end of the, the day of worship. Today, all over, the Lord came to gatherings like this. And He woke people up. Sometimes he did it, all of them. More likely he did this one, this one, this one. He woke them up and he gave those people a consuming love for the song of God, for the story of his doing that resonates in us like a song. Psalm 40, as we read, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This is the song of God that people would see Him and they would know Him. They put their trust in Him. Hearts get tuned to the song of truth. And we find that we want to be hearing it all the time. We want to be humming it all the time. We want it. We want it. The story of who He is and His love for us that is so strange. Now deep down, Many of us know that aligning with Jesus is costly. Continuing to surrender to His Word will be costly to us. And so we shrink back. We have trouble saying no to sugar. So we're going to have trouble accepting the pains of rejection and the scorn of friends. If I have trouble mastering my body, I'm going to have a lot more trouble with those emotional parts, with those spiritual parts. Parents have trouble offering an eternal vision of life to their kids. 
especially when they deal with pushback from the children. These children who want so much, and I, I may be talking about you, kids. You want so much to be accepted by your peers. And your parents are trying, <laughs> parents, I know, you're trying to offer the bigger vision. You're trying to talk about things they can't see. You're trying to talk about everlasting life, joys that never fade. And their friends and their bodies are telling them a different message. That's hard, parents. But if we want it, God will give us His Spirit to help us in our weakness. Person of every age. We have weak wills. That's the consequence of the fall. We have weak wills. But the Holy Spirit is involved first in making us alive. And then he's involved in giving strength to our wills so that we can do these things that are very difficult. Peter was a person just like us. It's easy for us to think about the Peter who was hung upside down on a cross because of his faith. Peter was just like us. He went from looking out for himself, denying Jesus again and again, to boldly standing before thousands to declare the truth of who God is. And we, gathered here, we are like Peter. We're timid. We're afraid of human judgment. Let me just put that in the first person. I am timid. I am afraid of human judgment. I will tailor sermons to certain people because I'm afraid of you. Lord, have mercy. I am afraid. You are afraid of human judgment. Our love for Christ is small. It's small. Our service is conditional on staying in control. Our service is conditional on steadily increasing comfort. What we will give, what we're willing to yield up is conditional as long as we can continue on a trajectory of comfort. No dictator voluntarily gives up power. We are little dictators. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we can live according to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, is Lord of all the world, Lord of time, and it's only by the Spirit bringing His Word to us that we can see, that we can understand, that we can choose differently than the world around us. It's the only way. Pentecost is a day of asking. It's a day of asking the Lord for the help of His Spirit. That's why we're gathered here today. I don't know if you knew that. We join the crowd on that day of Pentecost asking, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And the word's answer is repent. Repent. And you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It's for the asking. So repent. That means have a change of mind. Ask. All you have to lose. I find this comforting. All you have to lose is what you're going to lose anyway. You're going to lose all of this anyway. And all you have to gain is those things that will last forever. Gifts that will last forever. So if you find yourself wanting to repent, as I do, I'm going to pray a prayer. And would you whisper along with me? I'll pray it line by line. It's a prayer of repentance. It's from the, the Reformation Bible translator, Miles Coverdale. Let us pray. O merciful God, give us the well of blessed tears. That from the bottom of our hearts we may grieve our sins. Let us not sink down in heaviness and desperation. Set us up again and convert us thoroughly. Send the grace of your holy repentance into our hearts. Grant us the light of new graces and gifts. That we may do everything that is agreeable with you. Lord, I ask this prayer on behalf of us as a community as well. As we have spoken individually, we make this prayer as a body. In Jesus' name.